1: Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Tsubtang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump
0: administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Kelly Weil, do you want to talk about mr joseph rogan as little as i do right now i know that's not a compelling start to this podcast episode but my god help me out here Swin!
2: <laughs> so when i have been avoiding talking about joe rogan so goddamn hard like every time i want to weigh in on twitter I, I i have to like have like a virtual shock collar for myself or i'll do it like very euphemistically god do i want nothing to do with this discourse and yet it is this all-consuming black hole of just chatter and angst online and here we are i think we have to talk a little bit about joe rogan
0: like fucking leader of the republican party donald trump was getting in on it issuing a statement being like joe rogan you can't be weak and cowardly like this you can't apologize ever to the radical fake news libs." like it was just so pathetic it's like of course his brain is hot wired to be obsessed with a news story exactly like this it has all the media Cattiness and backfire and uh, culture war that he could want in any form of Trumpian Republican politics.
2: Oh, absolutely! I think Trump is probably like a a prototypical Rogan listener. I realize there's like a spectrum of them, but there's just enough. I don't think he has the attention span. I don't
0: think he has the attention span (laughs) to actually sit through an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience.
2: Oh God! Yeah, there. They are so long. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this is coming from someone who's sitting down and podcasting. I just can't sit through them. Oh, my God. You've got to sift through like someone's talking about their DMT experience. And I'm like, what? I don't relate to this. But clearly enough people do that. He has one hundred million dollars from Spotify, to which I say, if Spotify wants to pay me two hundred million dollars, I will tell listeners that you can cure COVID with. I'm fine with that.
0: Are you exaggerating a little bit, or is that one of his greatest hits of the past year or two?
2: (laughs) Uh, He's a a big ivermectin guy, saying, like, ivermectin cured his COVID, which he also treated with a number of other things. I think he had monoclonal antibodies, which are great for curing COVID, so yeah.
0: (laughs) I grew up with Joe Rogan. I knew him as, oh, he's the guy on news radio, which was and is one of my favorite uh, network american sitcoms which is a great great show and like obviously he did the fear factor stuff but that's right he's
2: the fear factor
0: guy but when he was joe rogan the comedian and the actor he had this feud with carlos mencia because he was obsessed with trying to get the word out that carlos mencia stole jokes which is obviously <laughs> the biggest <laughs> mortal sin of uh stand-up comics so you can find on youtube this footage of young joe rogan i highly encourage our listeners to look up younger joe rogan because it is just wildly different from how he is known today to like his blockbuster numbers of listeners and fans he's on the street and i think he sees bobby lee who's a mad tv guy another comedian and actor uh just on the street and he's just asking like grilling him about carlos mencia and say what Why are you sticking up for a man? Why are you defending the, (laughs) the war, the, the comic war criminal Carlos Mencia? And just, he kept doing this. I think he kept confronting Carlos Mencia in public at stand up gigs. Like, that's how I knew him. And that is a much more righteous crusade than whatever the hell he's doing now
2: what's he dare i say trying to get carlos mencia canceled yes
0: yes <laughs> a thousand percent a thousand percent but not for saying like the n word or something i i think it was explicitly for just stealing jokes like joke thievery like you you y- you can't do that you shouldn't do that. no
2: that's fair I'm, i'm i'm pro cancellation i think Equal opportunity, you steal jokes, or in uh, Joe Rogan's case, you have the N-word, I think, on 70 episodes of your podcast that need to get pulled.
0: Okay, did you watch the montage of Joe Rogan saying the N-word?
2: I did not. Okay. You know what? That's (laughs) one of those things where you read the caption and say, I'm going to trust you that that happened.
0: Right. So you've been sort of, as a meta observation for what's been going on, you've been tracking the long list of critters and characters besides former leader of the free world, Donald Trump, who suddenly been rushing to Rogan's defense, even if they don't really know what Rogan's show is. I get the feeling that a lot of these people like would not be able to get through a single episode of Joe Rogan's show.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's it's entirely like it's this proxy war, right? And I mean, my guess is most of Joe Rogan content is like probably pretty unobjectionable. Frankly, like I said, I'm not sitting down. I'm not watching all eight hours of it every week. But I think that most of it is, you know, it, is, is, is not really something that you're gonna call the cancel cops on but it's become this just this figurehead in this war over what you can say and can you have unfettered ability to say slurs online and i mean legally yes you do but do you have that ability and still retain a hundred million dollar contract with a mega corporation so joe rogan has become this figurehead for A lot of people who want to use his struggle as a proxy for their own ability to shout slurs online and to be very profitable from it. And so that's how everybody is from Donald Trump to figures on the left have got roped into this stupid... Conflict.
0: Ted Cruz apparently a gigantic Rogan head now.
2: Absolutely, I'm sure he's tuning in every week. It's, it just reminds me of people calling customer service. It's people calling up the Spotify hotline and being like, "You got to, you got to take him off. You said this, or you've got to defend him because he's the only true speaker of you know of, of liberty." And this is a product. It's an annoying one. It's not something that I want to watch every day, and I don't think you should be able to have you know, just open slurs on your insanely lucrative podcast, or at least not without facing some serious consequences. But th- this is just a proxy for so many pre-existing, quote-unquote, free speech debates that I really wish we would just be honest about what we're debating. And it's not really the former wrestling commentator.
0: Right. And examining this and dissecting it as a proxy conflict, I think, is the best way to look at it because there are so many strands in which... The way the usual casting characters of extremely online partisans and pundits are focusing on this that just do not make sense when you're talking about Joe Rogan. They talk about him as a quote unquote threat to corporate media, and that's why the press and the mainstream media are going after him the way they are. I mean, None of that makes sense if you look at it for less than half a second, because Joe Rogan is corporate media. Right. Like, have, do, do, they know, do they think Spotify is the same as, like, I don't know, one or two shows on Democracy Now? Spotify,
2: no. Spotify as you know, is your local record store, and they're just scraping it together, and uh, he makes more money than a Fox News anchor.
0: Right, like Urban Outfitters is like an (laughs) independent entity, according to these guys, if you follow the logic. I mean, I don't want to go too long on this, because I really do have the avowed opinion that there are too many Joe Rogan-based opinions out there right now, and I try to limit my tweeting about it to as close to zero as possible, just because even if I were to put one more individual opinion out there, I feel like that would be too much. That might be the straw that breaks this idiotic camel's back, Um. I'm sorry if that disappoints our listeners who get really incensed about all things Joe Rogan.
2: Let's uh, redirect our rage into the coup that we led against Will Summer. What, <laughs> what, what happened to that?
0: <laughs> uh, against who?
2: I forget. What what did I say?
0: I think you talked (laughs) about a name that has been airbrushed from history. (laughs) Under under penalty of torture, are you allowed to reference certain names on this show? So uh, I am going to just skate past that, pretend you didn't commit that grave offense, and move on to asking you about the upcoming Super Bowl, which I have to be giddy about because I live in the Cincinnati, Ohio area now. So, I don't care if some people listening to this consider this politically incorrect. I'm sorry if this offends, but go Bengals. Ugh. Did that break your heart, Kelly?
2: <laughs> I as as a grieving a li- uh, lifelong Buffalo Bills fan, I am um, man it should have been us, but you know what? Okay, whatever. I'm. I'll. I'll go. I'll go for whoever beat Kansas City. So I am with you in spirit and also in grief.
0: Okay, the enemy of my enemy. Correct. Totally get it. I mean, because of my in laws, I am legally and contractually obligated to scream "Go Bengals" and "Hude" at the top of my lungs like every chance I get. I will try not to scream extremely hard into the microphone right now, but if that happens later on in the show, please forgive me. You'll have to understand why. But besides the mighty, mighty Bengals, what is unique about this upcoming Super Bowl as you have been tracking it, Kelly Weil?
2: To hear certain conservative commentators describe it, this Super Bowl is ripe for Satanism. If we want to check in with Wendy Rogers, a wingnut elected official in Arizona, she says, quote, if they shut down the Super Bowl, at least it would spare us. And the children, the evil, wicked, satanic halftime show. In the interest of not getting sued by a halftime performer, I do need to point out how m- mild the halftime show is. It's
0: like. Who is the halftime show this year? It's a
2: whole bunch of old heads. It's like Eminem, Dr. Dre, I think Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Is it Mary J. Blige just doing it. And then I think Kendrick Lamar is also.
0: Okay, so this is a- about as satanic as the time that. Aerosmith did it with, like, Britney Spears. I think that was the team-up, or maybe it was Aerosmith, Backstreet Boys, and NSYNC. I forget what the jumble was. And now that I'm saying it out loud, that was obviously objectively more satanic
2: (laughs) oh yeah absolutely no this is um i think the worst thing that's going to happen is eminem is going to get on stage and rap about his mom's spaghetti like it's you know we're talking pretty tame stuff not having seen it yet but i um i can't imagine that you're going to summon lucifer with an eminem bar
0: Okay, so who else besides Wendy Rogers? And and, uh, wait a minute, sideboard. Wendy Rogers is obviously like big pro Trump, stop the steal, tried to overturn the 2020 election person, right?
2: She's one of these politicians who's, you know, late in life, but is uh, embracing, you know, 20 year old. America first groiper fan she's calling everything based on Twitter she's uh, she
0: doesn't even know what it means
2: but no she's, I, but she's her, I'm, sure her, I'm sure her I'm sure her her social media intern thinks it's hilarious but this is someone who um, does like to spout out for attention on Twitter but the fact of the matter is she's tapping into a very real um, sports related, big performance related satanic panic that's been brewing for a little while now in the US. So, if you recall a couple months ago, the Astro World concert held by Travis Scott in Houston, there was a crowd crush, I think nine people died, and there were immediately rumors that this was not a failing of concert planning that this was not just a tragic accident, but that it was an actual satanic rite carried out by rapper Travis Scott. This is kind of an emergent narrative in any sort of big performance, anything with flashing lights and maybe a little light pyrotechnics is th- this is this is too loud, this is too gaudy, this must be satanic.
0: Okay, so obviously the satanic panic thread of American fringe politics and conspiracy theory mongering, it's been there for fucking ages. It takes on so many different iterations. How much does this intersect with the, I mean, for lack of a better term, I guess I'm gonna say real world base, even though a lot of it is just batshit insane. How much does it intersect with the what it seems like annual panics around Super Bowls and alleged or supposed sex trafficking? And how much is uh, the satanic panics stuff that you've been covering been intersecting with the massive behemoth of QAnon and those kind of purveyors?
2: Yeah, I think these things are all definitely interlinked. And to the, to the extent that you call like some of this more real world, I will say that, so there's been for years and years, decades, this trope about, sex trafficking is on the rise around the Super Bowl. The thought that... It's such
0: horse shit, man.
2: Yes. (laughs) But you know what? It was so, just so... Accepted, I think, or it's so saturated the media that until a while ago, I I kind of assumed it was correct. It was just spoken about so matter-of-factly, and then you look into it, and there's no evidence that there are increases in sex trafficking, which is already this huge American boogeyman that has ties. Now it, it gets adopted by conspiracy theorists who push QAnon talking points, and now we see it wrapped up and pulled into. Further conspiracy theories about Satanism, it's not just enough that there's sex trafficking, it's satanic sex trafficking around the Super Bowl. So a lot of these earlier panics that were themselves not grounded in any reality but sounded a bit more plausible are now making the foundation for just absolutely lurid, insane claims about demonic rights in the middle of where where's the where's the Super Bowl being held right now it doesn't even matter demonic rights in the middle of the most televised sporting event in the world
0: how far and wide have you seen this satanic Super Bowl thread spreading in the like sort of right-wing fever swans or far right I should say uh that you've been diving into lately
2: so I've seen the groundwork for this happen for a while. Um, I think I saw the earliest rumblings of this narrative when Beyonce did the Super Bowl halftime show and she had like dancers with um, Black Panther-inspired outfits. And people were saying, like, every every word that they could throw at the wall, they're saying it's communist, it's satanic.
0: This long predated the critical race theory, state-by-state panic. And, oh, my God, I'm happy that those two things didn't cosmically intersect because it would have caused, (laughs) like, a supernova.
2: Oh, my God, could you imagine if we were doing the critical race theory panic when Beyoncé did the Super Bowl halftime show? But I mean, to be fair, this happens every time there's a major black artist performing at the Super Bowl. It's, they're not explicitly linked, but somehow whenever a black artist takes the field, makes any vaguely political stance, it's uh, not just politically objectionable. It's evil. It's satanic. And I don't think there's any doubt that the people pushing the Travis Scott satanic panic Conspiracy theories were not also reacting to one of the most popular black artists of the current moment.
0: Well, I mean, I think the only thing I have to say to that is go Bengals. Now, let's move on to something a little bit more enraging. Actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be a lot more. <laughs> enraging.
2: My body is ready. Let's go.
0: Okay. I apologize to our listeners in advance. I don't know if this should come with a content warning. Uh, You might have to aggressively rinse your mind's eye after we're done talking through this next segment. But I'm going to start by asking Kelly Weil a question. Have you been following the latest ongoings of the critical Ohio Senate Republican primary and what it means for Josh mandel
2: i have been following so reluctantly and to that effect very closely we have mr josh mandel ohio candidate and shit poster to the gods he's been on twitter spouting off talking about bitcoin is the national savior uh just just a real weird like kind of proto-fascist thing he's got going on
0: also over the past year of campaigning there have been so many times where he's just stepped on his own dick in the most hilarious, like, kind of uncomfortable in his own skin sort of ways. Do you remember, uh, it was a number of months ago, I think he was, from his official Twitter account, was tweeting about how he was hanging out with a real American working class gal in Ohio. And she's sick, but unlike all these liberal and uh, far-left Antifa whiners in this country, she's going into work, her job as a server in this restaurant. She's she's a tough guy. Uh, everybody give it up for her. And he tweets this. And as you can imagine, management at the restaurant has a policy against personnel coming into work sick, especially during a fucking global pandemic. And then when they ask her to please go home and not work, Josh Mandel joins the pylon and the backlash against the restaurant saying that they caved to like Dr Fauci style liberalism or some horse shit like that i'm only paraphrasing lightly here whereas he was the one who started the backlash in the first place <laughs>
2: Oh my god. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna go into restaurants. I'm gonna like I'm gonna do like a temperature check of everyone and then everybody who uh is slightly above temperature, I'm gonna put them on Twitter as a national hero, I'm gonna make like an account for that so we can identify them and uh really just put the restaurant on blast when they say take a sick day.
0: Right. This was all his fault and in a purely like Trump-esque move, I guess you could call it, just completely turning around and start shitting all over the small business owners, which is supposed to be his bread and butter <laughs> for winning his Republican primary.
2: Josh Mandela, champion of the worker, uh, inadvertently.
0: Well, I started looking more into the Ohio race recently as it has to do with Donald Trump, because as you probably notice, and as uh, some of our listeners have probably picked up on, Trump has so far conspicuously refrained from endorsing. In this very competitive race. This is, of course, the race that also includes other MAGA heavy hitters and uh, beloved uh, by Fox News icons such as uh, author J.D. Vance. Best race in the
2: country right now, just unhinged.
0: The hillbilly elegy guy and the getting the small business restaurant in trouble for sending the woman home sick guy. That's not even scraping the surface of people like Bernie Moreno, which who recently just dropped out of the race and who we could spend an entire episode talking about, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Anyway, Trump has conspicuously withheld his much coveted endorsement in this race. And I was trying to figure out exactly why. There are obviously a few key reasons, but one of the things that had not been reported before as to why he's not endorsing in this race yet, specifically why he isn't endorsing Josh Mandel, who for a long time, for about a year, in almost every single poll that has been published or released that I could find, he has been the clear front runner. That might be looking a little bit murkier now, but for the past year, it's just been head and shoulders. Like if you were to uh, put the smart money on one, the candidates, it would probably be Joshua Mandel. But if you talk to people who are close to Donald Trump and have spoken to him about the Ohio race or political strategy down at Mar-a-Lago or wherever else uh, the Donald may roam, you will invariably hear two very specific words in this order from Donald Trump's mouth to describe Josh Mandel. And they are, and I quote, fucking weird.
2: you know, you hate to agree with them, but
0: when he's right, he's right. He's He's talked to numerous people and throughout the course of our reporting, uh, this was part of a story that I reported out a few days ago with uh, Daily Beast DC Bureau Chief uh, Jackie Kucinich, who is a native daughter of the Great State of Ohio. I am obviously now an adoptive son of uh, the Buckeye State. This isn't something that Trump is saying in like an isolated chamber to like, I don't know, one, two, may- maybe three people, maybe on again, off again. Like for the past year, there have been numerous occasions where he's talked to various people uh, close or maybe even not so close to him, where he has uh, talked about how weird he thinks Mandel is, that there's something just not right about him, that he's spoken to him and met with him, and he thinks and he's observed him in media and on TV, and he thinks he's a dork. He thinks he has zero charisma. He thinks he's bad on TV, like all the things that uh, TV and image obsessed and 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 just celebrity and uh, superficiality obsessed Donald Trump would not like. So much of that is embodied in this uh, uh, longtime front runner for the Republican Senate n- nomination in Ohio now. That would be a lot for Team Mandel to get over in terms of a Trump-sized hump if that were the end of the story. Do you think that is the end of the story here?
2: No, because, okay, so again, when you have to hand it to him, you have to hand it to him, and Trump is a very catty gossip. I respect (laughs) it. I, You know, game recognized game. I don't think he's just responding to Josh Mandel being weird. I think he has... A very specific weirdness he's fixated on. And I think your reporting touched on this, When
0: Okay, one big thing, again, that Trump has talked about behind the scenes a lot as to why he's withholding his endorsement for Ohio Senate hopeful Josh Mandel is Josh's sex life or the alleged details Ooh. of his sex life. I don't know how many of our listeners have seen josh mandel on tv or seen his face in a photo i don't want to be mean but kelly what do you think i'm getting at here
2: oh man oh man this is classic self-censorship this is the censorious left
0: we're silencing ourselves we're joe roganing ourselves out of existence as a podcast right now
2: absolutely josh mandel i would just say has um you know he's he's not a cover model
0: No, m- most of us are not most of us are
2: not <laughs> Absolutely. I will just say that when you say Josh Mandel's sex life, I say I would like to not talk about that.
0: Okay, so out of uh, the sense of being journalistically responsible and ethical, and also out of the good sense to not want to scramble the craniums of our loyal fans and subscribers, I am not going to get into what these lurid allegations are. They are numerous, multifaceted, and abundant and far wilder and weirder than anything you'd be expecting but they are things that have been flung around for many months now in ohio republican spheres of influence campaigns and republican operatives that are openly opposed to mandel have been uh talking about this for a long time they've been spreading it around in Um, Ohio political circles. They've been trying to get reporters at major news outlets and newspapers to cover these allegations, or at least try to get through the bottom of it through journalistic digging. And uh, some of them have been relentless in trying to get this into Donald Trump's ear directly, whether they're meeting with him at Mar-a-Lago or gossiping with him on the phone, or just trying to spread it to different corners of Trump's inner circle. This is something that is being aggressively pushed behind the scenes right now uh, against the foreground of the crucial Senate primary. And this is something that Trump has heard so much that he has been spreading the gossip himself. He's been regurgitating it. He's been asking numerous people about it and and just talking about like, oh, have you heard X, Y, or Z about Josh Mendel's sex life or his personal life. Do you know if any of this is true? He seems like a fucking weird guy. And it is one of the things that his brain is really hung up on that is keeping him from actually endorsing (laughs) in this race. I mean, as we've said over and over again, this is the undisputed leader of the GOP. This is the guy who virtually anybody in a Republican primary today for the critical 2022 midterms, they're aggressively chasing Trump's endorsement. And as he's weighing to do so or not to do so for the Ohio contest, imagine if you're the former leader of the free world and the current leader of the Republican Party, and you are a very thirsty candidate or campaign manager striving really hard to try to land this guy's uh, like huge, coveted political endorsement. And one of the things that's holding it up is that this gossipy shithead who used to run the country (laughs) cannot stop talking about your supposed sex life.
2: And to be fair, like Republicans are often not sunk by terrible, terrible sex allegations. I'm thinking about like a Roy Moore who had people coming out of the woodwork and saying, yeah, this guy like abused me when I was a child. Republicans didn't care, but it sticks when the Candidate is weird enough, and if it's someone like uh Josh Mandel who it's like man i i I didn't really want to hang out with that guy to begin with. <laughs> you can kind of see how the rumors spread, and you can see how a trump who is you know he 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 cares about how people look on t v he cares about um just really petty backroom gossip. You can see how that would be a sticking point for him and how he would inadvertently spread that rumor just because he can't stop asking about it.
0: Okay, I'm going to read one quick quote to, to just wrap this up from one of the people who we s- spoke to for this story. This is one of the several individuals and sources for this reporting who have spoken directly to Donald Trump in recent months about this topic. And just to be clear, the salacious gossip that is being <laughs> hurled around at Mar-a-Lago is a uh, unvetted, it's unverified, but of course that is good enough for former President Trump's brain. And I quote, the former President has used the term fucking weird to describe Josh Mandel more than once when I've spoken to him about Mandel, one of the people said. He has talked about Mandel and sex in the same sentence more times than I would have liked to hear. End quote. (laughs) I'm going to leave our listeners with that mental image. I hope I have not scarred you for at least this entire lifetime. But there you go. That's 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 your little window into the Trumpian politics and rat fucking of the Ohio Senate race.
2: Okay, Swin. So if we need to bleach our brains now with someone more pleasant than Trump and Josh Mandel,
0: I'm not sure if I would call them more pleasant, but okay, that's my opinion.
2: (laughs) Who do we have on next?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked, Kelly. This week, we are delighted, or disgusted, depending on who you talk to who's co-hosting this podcast, to welcome to the pod Mr. Andrew Levy. Humorous by trade, Andy Levy has worked at such august cable news brand names such as Fox News and CNN, but now we at the Daily Beast own him. You can catch him over at our Daily Beast sister podcast, The New Abnormal, co-hosting with Molly Jong Fast each week. Stick around. The guy's got a lot to say. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet.
1: Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing.
2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
0: Kelly, how long have we been prepping for this epic crossover episode?
2: It's definitely been months in the works. You know, we've had all the, the writers come on. We've had everything okayed. Uh, you know, our characters, everyone making sure that it keeps in track with our backstories, and I think we're finally ready to launch this crossover episode. We've
0: made sure that only a couple of copyrights have been violated. In doing <laughs> only
2: it. a few continuity errors. Uh, if, if I pronounce my own last name wrong, that's down to the writers. It's not me.
0: Precisely. Fever Dreams listeners, our guest this week is none other than Andy Levy, co-host of of our Daily beast sister podcast, The New Abnormal. A veteran of both Fox News and the U.S. military, Andy excels mostly as someone who plays a humorist on TV and sometimes on Twitter.com as well. You can follow him on Twitter, at Andy Levy, and listen and subscribe to the weekly podcast, The New Abnormal, provided that you don't listen and subscribe any more than you do so for us here at Fever Dreams. Andy, welcome to Fever Dreams. Let's do the listeners a favor and keep it clean. All right? All
3: right, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I just found out about this like 10 minutes ago, so I don't know really <laughs> what you want from me. I sort of agreed, I guess it's in my contract that I have to be here, so just whatever, man.
0: Because it's in your contract, you have to be nice to me. I know you're going to be nice to Kelly and producer Jesse Cannon, because he's also your producer by default. But also, contractually, I have to be nice to you because you are a troop. You are a vet.
3: I'm a former troop, yeah. and You have to respect the troops.
0: I take back all the Epstein-related allegations (laughs) and lies that I smeared you with on Twitter just (laughs) this past week. I take back at least half of them.
3: Oh, wow. I guess I should unmute you on Twitter and see what you said.
0: (laughs) And just to be clear, just a quick housekeeping note, there are some new abnormal fans who seem to get on my case because they think the hatred between the two of us online is real. Is it real?
3: I think it's not real. From you to me, I think there's a it's more of a jealousy thing there. I don't think it's a hatred. <laughs> and from me to you, it's sort of like the John Hamline in Mad Men, sort of where he says, I don't think of you at all. Jesse, cut his fucking mic. We're moving on.
2: <laughs> all right. So let's do a interview two with Swin. No, uh, Andy, <laughs> glad to have you. Um, I'm looking forward to being the voice of reason and moderation in this interview.
3: <laughs> I do want to point out I'm absolutely delighted to speak to you.
2: <laughs> what a joy.
0: Well, okay, what is the point of the the crossover episode if we're not going to quash
3: beef? No, that's true.
0: The first thing I want to bring up with you, Andy, is that this might be the first time I'm talking to you over the phone or over anything oral in maybe ever. You and I have communicated for years over things like Twitter.com, but one of the reasons I'm genuinely pleased to have you here today is that I can finally put a one-on-one voice to the name. Because for so long, I have remembered you as the guy from however many years ago that was, as the dude on the TV show Red Eye, which I think aired at 4.23 (laughs) a.m. Eastern
3: Time. It was 3 a.m., but close enough. Exactly on fox news yes
0: and i remember you as the guy who was much wittier and much funnier than uh, gregory gutfeld and the other personalities weaved in and out of the show but also more than anything else i remembered you as the guy who was habitually mad at stephen colbert that's not true yeah, you were mad at him because he uh he took you or Greg out of context
3: or something. Yeah, one time, but I wouldn't wasn't habitual. I liked I I liked I mean I liked the Colbert Bore. I just that one time he <laughs> I mean, we don't have to bore the handful of listeners you have with this, but <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs>
2: Let's litigate.
3: He did. He took he took uh he took something. I mean we made a j it was I think it was about Obama putting his Feet on the desk, or wearing the tan suit—it was one of those. I think it was the tan suit, and we sort of pretended to be upset about it, and it was pretty obvious, like it, we that we were not at all upset about it. And then he ran it that night as an example of conservatives, quote unquote, whatever, being upset about it. And I was like, "What the? Like you do satire? You should recognize when someone's not being serious." So yeah, I was a little pissed. I was pissed about that, but in general, I mean, I don't have any problem with them.
0: I'm glad you brought up the comedic tones of Red Eye. I'm, I'm not sure how many of our listeners remember the show or watched it, but it was like the comedy show, the late night comedy show in the middle of the night on Fox News. And it gained something of a cult following for, at least at first, having more of a snarky libertarian slant on the news and the popular culture at the day. It was very clear from when I was watching you all those years ago before we, of course ever knew each other or ever met each other virtually, but it was clear you were having a blast over there at your little uh, pseudo-anarchic corner of Fox News. But in the years since, and you've been very public about this on various venues, not just twitter.com, you've had, shall we say, a falling out with the party, with the Central Committee known as (laughs) FNC, in ways that people like Greg Gutfeld, who have uh, just risen in the ranks, absolutely have not. Um, This isn't a recent thing. I've seen you be very public about this for a while now. Can you tell us the exact moment that
3: that things started to fray with you and the Central Committee? Well, I mean, there was no exact moment. The fact is, like, early on in the show, in particular, they left us alone, and... And we were on at 3 a.m. My guess is most the execs really didn't watch the show and didn't really know what we were doing. And we got away with a lot. And we used to poke fun at Fox News. I did a recurring thing. I did Fox News alerts because they used to drive me crazy. Because I remember there was one time they would bong in with the tone. And then this is a Fox News alert. And it was it was uh, Greta Van Susteren. And it was like a picture of a driveway. And they were like, we are awaiting the arrival of whatever. It's like, this is not a news alert. You're not, it's a literally, it's a shot of a driveway with a bunch of news vans outside.
0: And that seems very quaint post-2015 CNN.
3: No, exactly. Exactly. This was back in the day. So I was like, let's do our own Fox News alerts. And I, the first one I did was that the soda machine in the newsroom was out of Mr. Pibb or something like that. And it became a recurring thing. And, and they just got wilder and wilder. And I had a whole thing going. I had a whole one-sided feud going with the king of Belgium. I don't remember why, but I think I just liked saying his name, although I can't remember it now. And nobody bothered us and and, you know, and we were fine. And as the show went on, particularly in the last couple of years, it was it was less and less like that. And it got a little more foxified and it got a lot less fun to do, quite honestly. There was no again there was no actual turning point but clearly the Trump election was a huge one for me because there were a lot of people who had previously seemed conservative but sane all of a sudden were insane and I it it just was like I don't belong here and <laughs> I maybe never belonged here but uh, you know I also moved I, I I just personally moved from being I was a pretty straight libertarian when the show started And I mean, I'm fully on the left now. And that basically all that changed was economic stuff, because a lot of the social justice stuff is what made me split also, because even when I was a libertarian, I was you know, what is, I guess, derisively called a social justice warrior.
0: Right. A cosmetarian, a Cato Institute libertarian, basically.
3: Yeah, but even more so than like, it was clear that a lot of libertarians didn't agree with me, which is fine. But for example, I do think this country was built on white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. I think critical race theory is is good and should be taught. And, you know, these are not views that in you know, endear you to the Fox News management or audience, for that matter. And it just became clear that I didn't belong there anymore. And then Red Eye got canceled, which was actually great because I was basically at that point still there because of inertia. Because, you know, I had a contract, I was being paid well. And it's sometimes hard to just get off your ass and do something else. And then they canceled the show and it was like, oh, okay, this is it. And I was, I still had like a, either a year or I think I had a year and a half left on my contract when they canceled the show. A couple months after they canceled it, I asked to be let out of the rest of my contract and I left. I just, I, there was no reason for me to be there anymore. There were no shows that I particularly wanted to go on. I don't need to be at the same network as a Jesse Waters. Like if he was a rising star back then, and if I'm looking around and seeing that that's the guy they want as their future, then I just don't need to be anywhere near that fucking building. Excuse my <laughs> language.
2: Andy, we were talking just before about uh, Joe Rogan and this, this narrative that uh, comedians and humorists are actually martyrs with the hardest jobs in the world. Could you confirm that for us?
3: That is a hundred percent true. <laughs> it goes comedians First responders, then frontline healthcare workers, I think are the three most important jobs in America, if not the world. So yeah, I can I can 100% confirm that.
2: Definitely braver than the troops, more necessary than the troops. I mean, it, the only real voices speaking truth to power are, um, you know, they've got the two hour podcast, they've got the 3 a.m. Fox show, and that's, I think that's what we need.
3: Being in the army sort of prepared me to do comedy, <laughs> is what I like to say, because it taught me a lot of the skills necessary to do a, a comedic show. So yeah, I would totally agree with that.
2: In the, in the trend. Of the culture war.
3: Exactly. (laughs) I'm
2: going to
0: ask you a recurring question that we ask guests from time to time on this show. And I think you're particularly well equipped to uh, dissect this. Why is conservative comedy in modern day America so appallingly fucking bad? Like, what was your takeaway, given that to a certain degree you worked or in it or around it so much, particularly at your time at
3: Fox News? Here's my take on it. My take on it is there are good conservative comedians. They just don't really talk about being conservative. They are just funny. And the conservative comedians who make a point of being conservative generally aren't funny because they're too busy trying to be conservative. And this is not, by the way, this is not just a problem on the right. This is can be a problem on the left too. There are a lot of lefty comedians who are not funny because they're more concerned about politics than being funny. The thing is, there's a larger pool of lefty comedians. So it's easier to like just ignore those people. Whereas there's a much smaller number of conservative comedians and conservatives who work in, you know, the, comedy world or comedy adjacent, it's much more noticeable that they're not really funny because their main goal is not humor. Their main goal is showing that they're conservatives. And it's the I forget if it was Seth Meyers who coined the term. It's the clapter problem. And, you know, you see it on the left and the right where you want applause and not laughter. And or, so it's just called clapter. And it's doing a joke to get applause as opposed to doing a joke to get a laugh. And it, it that, to me, is the biggest problem with comedy on the right. And again, to some degree, it's a problem on the left as well. There's no doubt about that. So it's that, but it's also, it's also the targets. I mean, look, this is just my opinion. The punching down thing can be a little overdone. Like, you know, you can never punch down. Sometimes, yeah, you can punch down and it can be funny. But... If it's your overriding thing, if your overriding thing is making fun of trans people or something like that, it's just generally not that funny, at least to me. I mean, you know, they have their fans who think that that's just uh, an absolute blast. But to me, that stuff is just not all that funny. It's like, oh, you're really sticking it to the person when you're going after trans people. It's like, no, you're not. You're making fun of marginalized people. And that's just like, that's much more icky than funny if that's, like, your thing. So I think that's a problem, too. But in general, like, it's funny, when when Red Eye first started, there was another show that got a lot more attention that Fox launched called The Half Hour Comedy Hour. I don't know if you remember that.
0: Oh, oh, we talked about that on the show before. We've played okay. clips from it. The punchline is always Nancy Pelosi is a lesbian or Hillary Clinton is a, is a, boring bitch lesbian like that th- that's just always the punchline
3: so again the problem with that show is it was painfully unfunny because it wanted to be conservative that was more important to the show than being funny and that's where you end up with punchlines like hillary clinton is a lesbian or whatever red eye we said going into red eye we said we are not <laughs> we're not going to do that like we're going to be first of all we were weird particularly early on but also we just we wanted the laugh. We didn't want the clap (laughs) in in any sense of the word, (laughs) so to speak. (laughs) We were completely under the radar. They soft launched us, which means they basically told, that's a nice way of saying, "We're, we're not telling anyone about you. You're just, your show is starting. And, you know, within, I guess, I don't know how long that half hour comedy hour lasted, but I don't think it was more than six months.
0: It was less than a season, I think.
3: Yeah. I mean, that was gone. And then like, you know, two years later, we were beating every CNN show of the day in the 25 to 54 demographic, which is all anyone cares about in cable news. And Fox was taking out like full page ads about us in the New York Times because Mm of that. So, you know, which was kind of funny to us because the half hour comedy hour had all these big names. They had Rush Limbaugh on, they had Ann Coulter, they had, and they were supposed to be the conservative answer to The Daily Show. And it just sucked.
0: Uh, Like it was on at a non-middle of the night
3: hour and it just tanked. It was like Saturday night at 10 o'clock or something like that. It was, yeah, or maybe 11 at the latest. Yeah. And it was meant to be their big comedy show. And we were a complete afterthought. And then, you know, there we were 10 years later and they were long gone. I
0: want to ask you real quick and get your take on what I think is the cultural and spiritual successor, perhaps the marriage, spiritually, of the half-hour news hour and Red Eye, which is, of course, the still ongoing Gutfeld exclamation point. Your former co-host at red-eye, Greg Gutfeld, is of course now being marketed by Fox News as one of their premier talents. Like, I think he's up there with someone like Jesse Waters, and maybe a little bit less so Tucker Carlson, because I think he comes off as younger than someone like Tucker. But uh, but they are holding up as the exemplars and shining future of conservative TV. He has this new show which they have been heavily promoting as this is what conservative late night comedy is we're going to go in there and try to crush the jimmy kimmels of the world have you been watching it from afar and if so what is your what is your take on the show
3: i have not seen a minute of it really really i have not watched a minute of cable news since i left the business period oh wow yeah cable news is a cancer hashtag (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> so andy one reason we wanted to have you on is because you're contractually uh obliged to answer questions on the spot sure. <laughs> so coming coming from this conservative world i was wondering like what can't you say right what what can't you say now that you're at the godless uh antifa daily beast what's kind of the firewall between that your the older world and this one that you're in now.
0: And uh, and just to be clear one of the reasons we're asking that question is because you talk to so many ex Fox Newsers and it sounds like you were talking to someone who thinks the Stasi is still watching them. <laughs> and they'll it, be upfront about. It. There are things like in my contract that uh, I signed, where I said after I leave Fox News, I, I mean, I don't know if there are non-disparagement clauses or things like that, but it's like talking to a brick wall sometimes.
3: I signed nothing.
0: Ah, so so you're in the category of ex-Fox Newser who can basically say whatever the fuck you want about your time there, what you experience. Y- yes, sir. And what do you think of it now? Okay, well, I guess my first question, I'm going to hurl you a tiny bit of a softball. You were talking earlier about people who you thought weren't crazy in real time, but now very much seem so, particularly once you've been put through the meat grinder of Trumpism starting in 2015. Who most surprised you landed in that category?
3: I would probably say Tucker just because of the extreme to which he's gone.
0: Right, like you weren't expecting him to morph into Father Coglin necessarily.
3: No, I mean, it's always odd to me when... Someone, you know, I I mean, you know, the guy who used to wear bow ties is now the populist king of America. And it's just, I have to say, I didn't see it coming. I was friendly with Tucker. Absolutely. Uh, He actually, when I uh, left Fox and and went over to CNN, HLN to work with SC Cup, uh, he sent me a very nice email, you know, saying, hey, congrats. uh, You know, I hope the show is great, whatever. Uh, if I saw him now, I would not shake his hand. I think he is so loathsome now in what he's become. I honestly think that he has probably caused deaths.
0: Because of his uh, coronavirus coverage show, we call it.
3: Yeah. And I mean, just you know, having people like Alex Berenson on the show, which he literally just did like a week ago. Like, aren't we done with that, with that shithead? And then all of a sudden there he is back on the back on the TV on the, you know, one of the two or three biggest shows on cable news. I have no time or patience for any of that shit. And it's just, those people are dead to me. Like, I want nothing to do with them ever again. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know how, much, how else to put it. Like, I'm just, I can't say I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed because I'm fucking furious. Like, I just, he knows better. That's what pisses me off. He's a smart guy and he knows better and he's full of shit.
0: Clearly an extremely vaccinated guy who is turning his, uh, like, racist nightly news hour into a premier forum of why... Uh, you should believe the COVID-19 vaccines are going to like make you grow, not just horns, but like extremely spiky horns.
3: Yeah. Remember when we all had to get the first shot, you know, it's hard to remember back that long because it was like 20 years ago and it was broken down by like age. And then they would, you know, eventually you would qualify to get the shot and whatever. There is no way you can convince me that, Tucker Carlson didn't jump the line. There was absolutely no way. Even if I'm shown a document that proves he doesn't, I will not believe the document. (laughs) I'm half kidding about that, but I'm also half serious. But- Also, he is clearly fully vaccinated because, again, he knows better and he's out there peddling this shit in addition to his, you know, great replacement theory garbage. To me, that's worse than the true believers like Marjorie Taylor Greene. My view on her is I I think she honestly is that batshit crazy. And I think she does believe in the Jewish space lasers and all that stuff. And so she obviously is insane and sucks and shouldn't be anywhere near the halls of Congress. But at least she's who she is, as opposed to these guys. You know, you know Tucker Carlson to me is a J- he's J.D. Vance. He's a more suave J.D. Vance.
0: The two are kindred spirits in that respect.
3: Yeah. Or Josh Mandel, for that matter. I mean, right. you know, they're all like all these these faux populists are just they're so full of shit. I mean, you look at their background. They went to all the elite schools. They send their kids to all the elite schools. And then they come out there and, they're, and, and they, they try to act like they're, you know, the right-wing Bernie Sanders. Like, no, I, I, I really don't think you believe any of this shit.
0: Well, uh, something I want to ask you about Tucker real quickly is that savvy viewers, or at least observers of Tucker Carlson tonight, will notice that he and his staff are obsessed with calling their media and political enemies eunuchs, cowards. I don't know if they've used this exact term, but weak-limbed, they treat their highly watched, highly rated nightly primetime show, largely as a venue so they can call their contemporary enemies every name that they remembered being called in high school that they didn't have a good comeback for at the time. Right. Like, it's very clearly when they say things like, uh, these people are impotent. These people are eunuchs. Uh, these people are cowards. I mean, not everything is projection. This clearly is If you've ever seen a photo of <laughs> someone like Tucker Carlson, when you knew him back when he was allegedly saner, did he have an obsession with like using like the really pansiest kind of attempted bully boy tactics against people he didn't like? I don't know, like calling uh, 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 Paul Pagala a ninny or something like that. I don't know.
3: I don't remember him doing that, at least not to the degree he does now. I, I'm not going to say he didn't because I could very well be proven wrong by someone who has clips of him doing that back in the day. I don't remember it. I don't remember it being like his stock in trade. But all of that, in addition to being, you know, the projection that you talked about, it's also like it's it's fascism light. It's the Ubermensch mentality of, you know, and it's just, you know, you portray your enemies or the others as, as weak. And, you know, you basically use every word you can to avoid saying they're gay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that, I, I mean that I, like that's not even a joke. Like that's really what they're trying to get at there is they want to just say all our enemies are homosexuals, mincing homosexuals, probably, if they were to say it. But to me, that's what it is. It it that to me, it, it's all it's all fascism light. It's 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 all along that it's it's on the fascism spectrum, if you will. And look, I've been saying this for a long time. Fox News exists for two reasons. One is to scare its viewers. About the others, it's MS13 is in your garage, you know, or the migrant caravan is coming to steal your children, and then it's other reason. It's to simultaneously reassure its viewers that we hear you and you are right, and we validate your beliefs. So all of this goes along those lines, you know. It, it all it all fits into that. You know, it's 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 calling people on the left or whatever. Every silly name you can probably think of. I mean, it goes back even to, to the use of cuck, how that became this huge thing. It's all psychosexual. It's really bizarre if you want to, you know, if you get into psychoanalyzing it, that's what it is. It's reassuring their viewers that, you know, the others, the scary others are, are deviants.
2: Well, Andy, first of all, that's why I like to head them off at the pass and be a woman so they can't accuse me of being a unit. <laughs> <laughs> Love the inside intel, Um, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm going to leave a little bit angrier today.
3: Well, then my job here is done. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. (laughs) Most people who talk to me leave angry for some reason, and I don't really know why. I know why. Andy, come back anytime, and
0: listeners, uh, obviously listen and subscribe to The New Abnormal. Take care, Andy.
3: Oh, and Kelly, you are welcome on The New Abnormal anytime you want. Oh,
2: thanks. (laughs) Uh, Okay, swim swim Uh, log off.
3: Fuck (laughs) you. We'll talk later. (laughs) Bye, Andy. Bye, guys.
0: And now we bring you to our weekly installment of our beloved recording segment, Fresh Hell. Kelly, you're gonna have to just dive right into this for me because when you were briefing me on this earlier and while I was checking you out, I, I I had trouble wrapping my head around it. So 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 just please be merciful and take this off my hands right now.
2: So Swin, the reason you're not grasping this is because you're not adequately word cell enough. You might be a shape rotator instead.
0: Are, are these terms from like the first three seasons of True Blood? Like what the? <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, you doing I'm, to me here? I,
2: I'm actually a, a grade three paladin. No. What this actually is, is Twitter's most annoying, conservative, pseudo-intellectual war right now. You're being conscripted into it. I'm being conscripted into it. This is going to make everyone dumber, and let's just dive in. The premise is this. If you are good at things like writing and language, you are what is now being memed as a word cell. If you are good at math and science, you are now being memed as a shape rotator. Never mind that people can be good at both, or this is basically like a rehash of old left brain, right brain junk science.
0: Does this involve calipers?
2: Oh, oh, this is ripe for calipers. It hasn't yet, but the groundwork is there. <laughs> you, you could really, you, you you could you could get selling those now because this has already become kind of gospel for really online right wing weirdos like Jordan Peterson or the investor Mark Andreessen, <laughs> and they've spent mm. the past couple days clogging up everyone's timelines with rants about how they are shape rotators who are oppressed by word cells. This doesn't actually mean anything, but let's read a quote from Jordan Peterson, who is um, ostensibly a professor. He doesn't actually do any hard science. He rejects scientific facts like climate change, but identifies as a shape rotator. He says, under this dichotomy, Goodbye, STEM, to the word cell woke onslaught. What? Yeah. So that doesn't actually mean anything, at least to a sane person, but let's break it down. Basically, what they're doing is looking for new ammo in this really, really tired war over whether academics should focus on things like humanities, um, which they cast as woke and effeminate, or things like STEM, which they cast as objective and better for upholding arguments about why trans kids shouldn't be able to use the bathroom. So <laughs> this is a little pet peeve of mine, right? Because this is an old rehash of stupid identifying traits, you know, you you say oh I'm I'm Uh, I'm an INTP. I'm a Capricorn. It's these weird labels that people come up with to sell your personality back to you online, except it's not even enough to check your horoscope right now and to find out what the Geminis are doing. It has to be conscripted into a kind of culture war right now. So we've got figures like Jordan Peterson now who are going to war against word cells, which is the dumbest sentence you could possibly concoct. And yet it's part of this ongoing, really this battle to make you lose your mind on the internet. The creator of the word cell rotator meme says this is all a dumb joke. It is being taken way out of context. But on a Twitter that needs dumb identity conflicts at all times or it will literally die every couple weeks. We need a new dichotomy to draw people into and to pit each other against. See previous language about being an alpha male or a beta male. And all I would leave you with is that this is really dressed-up astrology. This is a completely fake dichotomy of people and types that you can be, except instead of just reading your horoscope, it's sending Capricorns and uh, Scorpios into blood feud. And I would just say that you're not a shape rotator or a word cell. Those are completely made-up categories. You are a nuanced human being who can just completely take the air out of these arguments by logging off and looking at nature. And that is the last I want to hear about word cells or otherwise.
0: Is word cell a play on incel as an involuntary celibate?
2: Absolutely, it is.
0: So so, so, uh, are people... Like Jordan Peterson or the other guy making fun of people who are good writers?
2: That is exactly it. They are saying that the the word people are somehow inherently inferior and that... Um,
0: Jordan Peterson is familiar with what he does for a living, right?
2: Correct. He authors books about why you should clean your room.
0: So how is he not a word so?
2: It's because it's being overlaid onto these categories of woke and unwoke and... Objective versus feelings, and again, never mind that Jordan Peterson's books are all about uh, diagrams of how dragons actually represent uh, the masculine psyche, somehow it's more objective to be a shape rotator, which again, it's not a thing, it's a a meme that someone on 4chan made up five minutes ago.
0: It's almost a mathematical certainty that whoever John Peterson would be talking about in that respect is having more sex than he is. But I digress. I guess his point is to say that writers he doesn't like or bloggers or uh, uh, people on Twitter who annoy him are pussies who don't get laid. That's a point.
2: Yeah. Stop using words against him, word cell.
0: But he somehow found the lamest, most virgin way to say that.
2: That is correct, yeah. It's uh, using 2014 4chan language to uh, complain that I think people are dunking on him on the internet.
0: Okay, and these IDW or right-wing weirdo influencer types are also going all in on calling people shape rotators because they are nerds who are good at the arithmetic and the sciences, if you're getting called a shape rotator on twitter.com or anywhere else on the vast internet, they mean that as an insult. They mean that as a slag, correct?
2: I think so. It depends which side of the completely manufactured war you've landed on.
0: Then why are they making it sound, again, like they're calling you a werewolf? (laughs) Okay, so it is of this parlance that shape rotator Is supposed to be a positive attribute but at the same time what they're saying is this person is very skilled in the arithmetic or the sciences as jordan peterson and people like him like to think that he is but really they're just trying to pat themselves on the back for being just, just like oppressive nerds, just on a different subject.
2: Right. I mean, this is how people like imagine Elon Musk is. You know, he's sitting in his computer lair and like rotating a a block on the computer screen.
0: Iron Man. They think they're Iron Man.
2: That is exactly. It. And all I will say is, it just means you're good at parallel parking. And soon, uh, Teslas will completely automate that process. So it doesn't really matter that I clipped your Prius.
0: Okay. Well, on a final note, Kelly. Would you say I am a shapeshifter? I think you said shape rotator. What, whatever. I'm calling it shapeshifter. Would you say that I am a shapeshifter or a word celibate?
2: Ooh. So I think they would class all of us in the lamestream media as word cells. But I think you can aim higher. And I think you could conceivably even be a Gryffindor. You could be an Aquarius. There are There's just so many things you could be. Why, why cap it at word cell, in my opinion?
0: On that note, let's wrap up this episode of "Fever Dreams" from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at the Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions.
1: We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.